Hello and welcome to the Stacked Podcast, brought to you by Cognify, the recruitment partner for modern data teams, hosted by me, Harry Gollop. Stacked with incredible content from the most influential and successful data teams, interviewing industry experts who share their invaluable journeys, groundbreaking projects, and most importantly, their key learnings. So get ready to join us as we uncover the dynamic world of modern data. With the rise of generative AI in the last year, AI, machine learning, data science has been put on the pedestal as a future and a must-have for businesses. But could this assumption be doing more harm than good? Today, I'm joined by Arena, the head of data from Element. We're going to be uncovering strategies to implementing machine learning and data science effectively, and also uncovering the common pitfalls many get stuck in, leading to a huge lack of ROI and missed opportunities. First off, Irina, it's great to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Thanks, Harry. Wonderful. I'm very happy to to be in this conversation with you. It's a topic close to my heart. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, it'd be good to get, I suppose, a brief overview, Irina, of your yourself and, and your background yeah. and, and how you got to where you got to today. I'm a I'm a nerd. I always like to say I'm a Swiss knife of data and a full-blown nerd. I have a computer science background, so I'm probably engineering background with some research on top in large data. And, oh, shall I go into the long or the short version? The short version is in the last years, I'm doing consulting and roles as head of data, where I'm taking care of the data engineering, data science, ML, and data analytics. I have worked uh, since I graduated in three countries, and that is Germany, the Netherlands, and US. And I've also worked for six years for Google. So I also know some marketing in case I need to moonlight as something else. Otherwise, outside my free time, I'm actually a mentor and coach for people who want to switch to data. I'm part of the Berlin Mentoring Club, but also part of a couple of other programs for coaching and mentoring. And I really like it, actually. I I have a very senior head of data science that I'm coaching, which is a good exchange for me as well. That mentor relationship at Cognify, we run a, a female mentoring program. And, you know, mentees, obviously, you know, they're the ones that typically are seen to get the huge value from a mentor. But what, you know, what we've heard and seen, mentors also get an incredible amount of value from just seeing different perspectives and hearing how, you know, the other challenges that other people are doing. So great to hear that you, you've had so much experience in that space. So, yeah, let's, I mean, let's dive in. Today, we're obviously going to be talking about machine learning, data science, and the strategies to, to really implement them effectively. Yeah. I think first off, for the audience, it'd be really good to understand, you know, what is machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence? How are they linked? But I think more importantly, you know, how do they differentiate? Because sometimes these terms are used in, interchangeably. It's very, very true. So I'm going to start first to define what artificial intelligence is, which is the theory and development, I'm looking at an official definition, right, of uh, computer systems able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence. I think this is an easy definition in that sense, with examples as, you know, visual perception, speech recognition, pattern recognition, decision making based on pattern recognition and translations, of course. So this is AI trying to think, you know, to, to to shorten the definition, computer methods that do similar things to humans. <laughs> and if I go up down the hierarchy where AI is the biggest field, 
we can talk about machine learning. And machine learning is a field or part of the AI area that gives machines the human-like capability to learn and adapt through statistical methods and algorithms. So what differs from AI is more that the subfield of machine learning tries to learn from the data or from the, the things that you feed to it in a similar way as if you want humans to. So learning from the past. To predict the future. Exactly. That's what you want at the end of the day. And machine learning is actually also part of data science, but where, you know, part of it, the algorithms train on data delivered by the data science in order to learn further. So data science is more descriptive and machine learning is more predictive. Data science is the field that, if you want, takes a look at the data and studies it, tries to understand how to extract meaning from it, and basically where data science stops, machine learning starts. And hope this is decent the definition. I mean, you can find and complexify them all over. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's great. So it sort of starts with data science, progresses into machine learning, and then that machine learning develops into to artificial in, intelligence. Yeah. And if you, if you consider the type of data more complex than the one that the data science is using, like, let's say, pictures or voices or recordings of audio or video, then it's a bit goes more towards the AI. Amazing. So, look, many businesses I know, you know, they look to start data science projects as soon as, as possible. There was obviously the, the hype of data science back in 2016, and I think there's still some legacy of, of that. So, so how does a business determine when it's the right time to incorporate machine learning, data science, AI into its operations? Because I've seen a lot of you know, horror stories of where they haven't seen the return on the investment because when they've started. Depends very much, you know, which department we, we look at that uses smart decision making. So I would say that regardless of the business model or the company, you will always have some methodologies that you can apply in the marketing team and in the CRM team, always, kind of regardless of what you're doing, gaming, e-commerce, insurance. At the end of the day, you can still do customer uh, lifetime value formula or customer segmentation that you can feed back to the targeting algorithm. You can bid on the difference that it takes to move a user from one bucket to another. So in that sense, what I'm trying to say is that we could see ML implementations very early if applied in the teams like marketing or CRM or customer acquisition or customer support. And if we're talking about the actual methodologies related to the product that one is offering in the startup, it's a bit of a different beast. And I think this is where lots of people get stuck. There is not, I mean, the moment you can do an implementation for ML for from a business perspective is, first of all, when you need it and when the data is clean. Because if you do not have clean data, then you outbook the wrong decisions. And I, I've also seen that in the field. So I would say that. I would also say that the German ecosystem that I have seen in my personal experience is having a hard time implementing ML at the company strategy level. So you might see some ML in some team in engineering, or you might see it in the data, or you might see it in the marketing. But what I feel, and this is maybe why ML fails the way that you see, I see the lack of strategy at the top regarding this approach, or which approaches make more sense. 
And when you say at the top, is that from senior data leadership or leadership externally as well? Because that's quite quite sometimes a big battle that that we see. You know, you get executives who maybe you know they've heard the latest buzzwords, right? And they they then sort of look look to push the these challenges. So yeah, how how can data leaders, I suppose, deal with pressure down not to get these projects started when they're maybe not ready? And and how as a data leader do you know when's the the right time to to pull the trigger, so to speak, on these projects? I mean, what you want to do with the, with the machine learning is either speed up the decision time or save money or make more money, right? These are the applications of what you want to do or spend money better. And I would say that in the C-suite, regardless whether it's a VP of data or it's a chief marketing officer or it's a CDO, they should know the value of data. Sometimes what I see is that people some, at that level don't trust themselves to say, oh, I want a new segmentation. So I would say the lack of creation of a good strategy is also due to the lack of knowledge at the top. You know, maybe they're they're too senior in the sea level. Maybe they are not that they're skeptical. They just do not know or don't believe that it could have any benefits in the company. They don't see it. So I think data literacy would be a necessary skill for the sea level and more complex one. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So. You know, what value is really possible with machine learning and data science projects? Could you provide an example as well of a, of a situation? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I would say that if you are a consultant and work in the in the ML field, in the data science, it's very, very hard to promise an output. And I think this is the hardest part in any business to have like ML people and really try to pitch a beautiful project and, and show value. You can't promise. It's non-deterministic. So this makes it harder for planning. Of course, there is a gut feeling involved, but to do this inability to know where you're going you're gonna to fail or not, then yeah, I would say that this is also the lack of maybe buy-in from management or I mean, even the, the ICs, the individual contributors who are actually doing the implementation, probably also might figure out later that they cannot necessarily prove value. So it's always a risk to go into that direction and have a very expensive headcount doing that kind of work. In terms, because, you you know, I mentioned data literacy and I'm, I'm thinking of a program because we have to implement it in our company as well. And I'm thinking like, what what could be a really good education that's very holistic about data to to the higher high level? The best one that I have seen is actually a German lady who built a card game. It's like a Monopoly card game. And she has like, a, instead of Team Blue, Team Green, you have Team CRM, Team Marketing, exchanging different types of data, like product analytics data, marketing data, customer center, and then you collect them. And then you kind of, you, it sh- this this game shows you what kind of things you can do in every department with which data. And it's trying to be as exhaustive as possible. That's the kind of thing that I would give to the C-levels. Because then they have a list like, oh, in CRM, I can do this, 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 and this, and this. In marketing, I can do this. For retention, I can do this. For churn, you can do this. So, so to be clear, that would sort of giving them a list of all the different types of projects that you could do and how they would impact the business? Yeah, 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 yeah. In order to measure how they impact the business, I, I mentioned a few paragraphs before that you can influence it in time. So the time to insights dropping down, 
or in ROI, right? Either as a loss or as a win, hopefully a win. Have you got any you know, tangible examples of projects that you've implemented or your teams have implemented and you know what how they've yeah, were yeah. able to to transform decision making or business process so one of the one of the nicest projects that i have seen but also the most complex was a matching problem which is for example applied in dating or in gaming in order to pair users with similar seniority in the game it's a it's a matching algorithm elos elos scoring so that's a very beautiful one. I, I did not touch it, though. Where I have been hands-on was, for example, last year I did retention analysis and what impacts retention with hundreds of features. So this was very nice because you, um, what's it I chose XG Boost and I, I started playing with it. I, I, I literally forgot to close my laptop. It was still 9 p.m. I was still outside in the garden and I was <laughs> writing the, the details of the model. So even at this age, and I still can get very excited and, and forget about it, but forget about time. Another topic I really, really love is causal inference because it allows you to measure, let's say, things, entities that are not as easy to measure through an A-B test or just are impossible to do so. So for example... We, in the previous company, was a travel provider. We didn't know how to evaluate the lost revenue due to strikes, right? And you have all of these contracts with the risk providers and insurance so that in case, like, I don't know, a certain Deutsche Bahn has a strike, joke, joke for the <laughs> for Germany because <laughs> we had that, then you need to provide your estimated loss to the insurer so that you can receive the money back based on this. But how do you estimate it, right? So... It was a time when there were a lot of uh, troubles in the travel industry. So I thought that the best way to measure is actually causal inference, which is a method also used for brand lift, for marketing lift, to give you this little delta, whether you have done an improvement in your KPI or not. So this was the first application. And I also gave like a little intro 101 to causal inference as visual as possible and as no code as possible. I don't like to make complex slides and like a general audience. It was so nice that people started asking like, oh, can I use it for, not for strikes, but for, I don't know, it it is snowed in and the entire trans, uh, alpine trans something is not working. What is the impact as well on our business so that we can do something? Or, you know, what is the engagement score in an application when you have migrated part of it to React and whether it's different from the engagement before? So you can even apply it at the engineering level, which is very nice to measure this. How does this bring money? I mean, first you have a more exact forecast of your loss in this particular case, and you can ask the exact money and say, hi, I have statistics on this one, so give me the money. On things like churn, retention drivers and, and whatnot, this is harder, right? This is a, this is a very static insights giving and the implementation of those findings would be done in conjunctions with the product department because maybe some features are on purpose that they are this way. But maybe you can redesign the, you know, the funnel as a result of what impacts retention. So in order for more stickiness. Amazing, amazing. So, I mean, the things that also stood out there, as you said, like, you know, marketing and CRM, that was sort of some of the, 
the key areas where you can sort of start to to deploy machine learning really from quite an early stage. But, you know, are there other certain sort of prerequisites or, or signs that indicate, you know, your company is ready to start taking on machine learning and bringing on sort of machine learning expertise? I don't think that it, it has to do with seniority. It has to do with the quality of your data. And I said in these very operational departments, you can start thinking about it much earlier than maybe you are thinking about it for for other departments. So, I mean, the marketing and the CRM part are very crystal clear, but when you apply it to an e-commerce or a subscription business, then you need to add on top of that for subscription, either RFM model or survival analysis in order to do segmentation. I would say sky is the limit, but you still have to have some data to start. Maybe one year of data. So so the the core then is really, and and this is something that we see a lot, and it it refers back to that garbage in, garbage out, but it's having the, the appropriate infrastructure in place with the data that is in an appropriate position to be able to to run this analysis otherwise it it's not not possible and also like the way that many companies have implemented ml or data science today is actually really static it's an, it's just a notebook and they ran the model and it's just observational and that's it and it usually stops there while proper ml should be should be done in a way that you put it, you know how to put it in production, you need to productionalize it, you need to track it, you need to monitor it. And these are skills that move from data science, this kind of static observational model, to actual ML, where the model keeps learning from its past and does a better way, like a recommendation system. For a recommendation system, you need more data than you need in marketing or CRM first. But if you are a travel provider or an e-commerce, and should have a recommendation system. A constant sort of feed of new data yeah. for the, the algorithm to teach itself. I'm pretty sure that if you look under the food for Zalando, you it's always learning. How does it know that I like a certain texture of my clothes and then it recommends the same thing in, in other clothes or in shoes? So that's pretty brilliant. We can talk more as well about what makes or breaks ML in a company. It's also where the, the data scientist sits. Does it sit with the data people? Does it sit with the engineering? Does it sit close to the business? Does it understand the business problems it's trying to solve? Have you seen the most success then? I mean, on that, because there's so many different models that flow around for structuring your team. What do you think has been the most effective? The one that I have noticed as the most effective was a centralized DS team in the Netherlands at the company called Cool Blue, which is like a media market, electronics e-commerce. And these guys were like PhD guys, four or five of them, super geeky, floating around the company and then helping them with certain projects that were timely to a certain area. So that's where I have seen it more successful because it was obviously with a strategy from the top. It was separated from the other data teams, fully independent on their own. And they would just be assigned where the juicy projects are happening. So like a task force, they really were a machine. Like the cool blue at the time when I was uh, talking to them had a data maturity that I can't even explain to you. Probably the highest I've ever seen in my life, if the maximum. Really, really. So so they had sort of like a centralized specialist data science team who would then be deployed on whatever projects, you know, was marketing, gaming, suppliers, forecasting budget, forecasting. They were almost like an 
in internal consultancy then in, in would you would you say yeah that's exactly how they worked and they were independent this is this also was very nice because i don't know when you have a lot of work sometimes machine learning engineers or data scientists are put to do analytics work and this type of organization the centralized consultant I would say protects you from doing You're shielded. Yeah, protects you from doing just dashboards. I mean, if I if I hire an ML person to do dashboards, my heart is breaking for them because that's not what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, okay, that that makes sense. So, so that sort of yeah, I say internal consultancy I mean, it shields them from them external pressures of other responsibilities creeping in. And that's hugely impactful for you know why data scientists, machine learning engineers look to leave organizations. It's because they're, they're missold an opportunity or when they get there, they're not doing the, the work that they're, they're yeah. put to do. And I think that comes back to this data quality as well. You know, many data scientists spend much of their time you know, data modeling, transforming, trying to get data into a condition. And they're not best positioned to do that. They don't have, they're maybe not as, as experienced doing that as say an analytics engineer. Yeah, exactly. What I see as well is that ML or data science people uh, prefer Python far more than SQL. And I'm a I'm an analyst at heart. That's how I started. So I like to use SQL until the last moment of aggregation and prepare my data frame directly in BigQuery. And for example, because it's just what even when to give an example, you have an interview for a job and you get a file and like, you know, you're supposed to do some analysis on it. It's just so easy. Push it into MySQL database and do some counts and do some summaries. And then you you have the result faster than if you would write the same code for that function in Python. So not only that, but the road to success based on the methodology or the language that the data scientist is choosing, if Python is very long, the, the road. You write a lot of code until you figure out what's going on in your very large data. So I would say this is also something that maybe management cannot necessarily bless or understand the time it takes to do a certain project. And this is why, I mean, I mentioned other people and other tools, so I might as well. I'm a big, big fan of a tool from your country, <laughs> from UK, that has this ML as SQL. So you write one line of SQL, which does ML modeling, very similar and maybe even more simple than the way BigQuery ML natively does that. And yeah, imagine writing causal inference or or having a ton of, let's say that you have the country as a feature, right? And this software knows automatically to do the transformation into columns. I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to write anything. And this is, I would say that my gut feeling in the future for a successful ML, one needs to deploy things faster, to iterate, to when the moment you've reached a certain point where you've proven that your approach is bringing something to the company, speed or save sense or whatnot, that's when you should put it in production and you continue to work and iterate on it, but put it in production first. To start showing some value, I think that's one of the other things that makes sort of data science, machine learning projects harder to especially get off the ground to start with, you know, the time to, to value is a longer road and sometimes, you know, business economic pressures. I mean, projects get canned before they're even finished. So I think being you know, clear with your stakeholders as to when they can start to see value and, yeah, focusing on them, smaller wins, getting something out, which just shows value is, is really, really great advice because otherwise, you know, you can never get to the final stages if you're, if you're creating something that's too long. 
I mean, imagine, you know, I'm a manager and I get a data scientist who works for uh, a whole month on a code of something that he cannot tell me anything except that that package didn't work, that methodology maybe didn't yield uh, statistical significance. That means there's nothing tangible for me when, when I manage someone like that. So, yeah, one has to think a little bit more strategically. Like, okay, they have a very long project and I need to also give them something small that proves value in order to have their back covered, right? I, I think that's a, a, a great piece of advice. And we, and we never got a name of the tool. You mentioned the, the, the tool. It's called infer, infer, like causal inference, but just infer. Really, it's, infer. it's one line of code and does XGBoost and also transforms all your features, all your countries, flattens them out. You don't Amazing. Need to so it gives you sort of the power of machine learning with only a few lines of code. Yes. And if you really want to be a statistician and really say, ah, oh, no, this tool, I don't like uh, abstraction under the hood. I want to look under the hood. You can. You can put all your parameters there and knock yourself out. But it's just more of, a, of an approach. It's, it's feeding into what I was saying that the ML needs a more iterative approach to proving value and not writing a lot of Python code and maybe going to these tools is a better way. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. Or an, another tool that's more used. Yeah, I was going to say, what other tools and platforms, you know, would you recommend for businesses which you've had really good experiences with? And then one that I really like and I discovered in the Netherlands, and it's used mostly in the biochem, bioinformatics, is a platform called Nine K N I M E. It's from Switzerland or from Germany, and you can build ML flows in the same way that you build a DBT pipeline. So you literally see like little squares and this is your input. It reads from the database and this is the clustering and this is the productionalization and another table. And this is going back to your database, putting it all back together. But that one is, I mean, I really like it, but it's a little bit clunky because it's not used for IT, but it's for free. So you can still take advantage of all of those pre, pre-trained, pre-coded pieces. Yeah. I think the audience would be keen to to understand you. Know, what are some of the common pitfalls when launching a data science project, machine learning capabilities, and what are the consequences of them? I think we've touched on a few of them. Obviously, you know, data quality, you know, not being able to show value in a quick enough time. Are there any other sort of common pitfalls that you've seen in the industry, and and how would you tackle them? I mean, if you that's something actually that I encountered at Google. So I was working with two packages of, of uh, causal inference because my love for causal inference goes <laughs> back. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the question that I, I was analyzing was a business question, which was, you know, how does enabling smart bidding by a client influence their spending? That's a beautiful business question how to translate it into research and, and you know, getting your data done is not easy. I was using two packages. One was the causal impact by the guys in Zurich. This is a, a team from Google who wrote the code in R, wrote, wrote the libraries in R and Python. And another package that was used by the Econostatistician group at Google, the Halvarians group. And the two, it was so obvious, the two sides of the coin of ML. The guys in Zurich being like PhD researchers would be like, your hypothesis has to be super clean. Your data has to be super clean. You must be able to swear on your ancestors' souls that there is truly no other change happening in the time interval that you are turning on this model in the world or with all of these accounts and spending. Of course, like one cannot guarantee that, right? And also you have different sides of the world with different maybe 
periodicities of spending and buying ads. While the business people, the econostatistician business people would be like, okay, you know, maybe it's not the most perfect hypothesis, but it's the best we can get. And we do get a little bit of statistics. So I would say we can live th with this. So it's, it's the approach of being ivory tower, PhD level, machine learning, built like waterfall model versus, you know, knowing when you got value, you push it out and then you continue working on whatever you need to work further if you want to. These are the two mindsets. And it also depends very much, again, the data scientist or ML person needs to be closer to the business because of this gap. Yeah, I, I think that, that, that that's clear, isn't it? The, you know, whether it's an analyst or, or data scientist ML, when you're answering a business question and that's the, the end goal of, of what you're doing, you need to really understand what that business question is, why it's having impact. And I think why it's being asked in the first place is, is a really important piece to, to understand because if you can then follow down the road of, you know, not of building something that's not going to be answering the, the true question as well. So I think that understanding is why is this question being asked is, is, is really powerful as well. Does it answer your question or? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it was just keen to share any other ideas, Irina, that, you know, any other areas which you see, you know, people make mistakes, whether that's leaders or uh, ICs who, you know, are, are actually building the code, you know, are just keen to try and help other people not fall down any sort of common common pitfalls. I think we've covered quite a few, but yeah, if you've got any others, we'd, be, we'd love to hear. I mean, other, other things, maybe like know when to stop the improvement of the project and maybe you need to jump something else. Give yourself a certain deadline. Like for me, in the causal inference problem at, at Google, I think I gave myself three months to have results. The first month was building the data to customer support emails. Like it was a collect, global collection of data. And then I gave myself, okay, we need to reach that. The moment I had the data frame, I, I told myself, please, I have to have StatSig in three weeks or maybe I need to go to another project because otherwise this is my OKR, right? Other things is for, you know, my recommendation for data scientists and machine learning engineers when they join a company to ask very, very clear questions about what is a stack? Am I going to code in a notebook or am I going to code in a way that is actually productionalized and how will that be? Try to understand if the company has a certain... ML strategy, as in like, do they see for the next two years that they will apply certain methodologies? Do they have work for you? Because this is, again, like, this is the issue that I see a lot is that maybe the, the company hires a few scientists and has some work for them, but not long term. So ask like this long term and also ask the infrastructure, because if you have a PostgreSQL database, I would say probably you cannot put models in production as easy, like it's a bit more complex. That's great advice. That's great advice to really understand you know, what you're going to be stepping into in a, in, in a company. I think that is so important because I, I... I would also ask, like, what do you have today in production? What do, where do you use ML today? Oh, you do customer segmentation for marketing. How do you do it? Because if it's in e-commerce, I want to hear RFM. I don't want to hear K-means because this is a continuous dub by till you die. And the type of clustering depends on the business model. So... And I've seen as well this mistake being like the, the wrong clustering methodology just to have a clustering. Yeah. So it's for, I mean, that, that's a great point because I think that's something that's often 
often done you have these these projects being kicked off because you know it's the cool thing to do it's without you know a long-term view of, of how is it actually going to impact and some of these projects don't start with the business problem to solve but they start with a methodology i'd like to try or that we need to build a chat gpt or a, a semantic interface to our querying system those are less important than really i don't know having a really good ml strategy Sometimes I would say that the, the most senior leadership in data should actually try to make a list of the business problems that are hard to solve and then see if those are solvable by ML and not try to engineer an ML problem just so that you can say you, are, you hired someone and they're working on something. Really, really relevant. I mean, I think you know, the, the things that come through Clear Arena is, is for to be able to start this, this journey of creating a, a machine learning strategy first you need to have a, a data strategy to a data platform high quality data and somewhere where you can be able to hire these these people and, and give them an environment for them to thrive marketing and uh, crm are probably two of your quickest wins where you can start yeah. to to implement and, and and show value so they should be your your focus points and and really make sure that when you're starting these projects you're you're understanding what questions they're answering and why they're answering them and showing a quick quick version to a, a quick time to to value at least on some of the smaller pieces which then you know buys you time essentially for these bigger projects which take longer but, but can be be more impactful have you got anything else to sort of summarize before the uh, before the before the end <laughs> i was just thinking you know what was the first time i used ml at work it was a f maybe two, three years after I left university and it came from the CMO. He was like, Irina, you know, we have no idea the, the customer value that, that we acquire. It was a gaming company, so they needed to buy a new number, customer acquisition on, on, on amphetamines, you know. <laughs> and you, in order to be on plus financially, you need, you need to acquire customers that have a lower, sorry, a higher customer lifetime value than your cost of acquisition. And this was the first time I was like, oh, this sounds really nice. I would really love to code in this. But there was no tool back then. So I built it in R. Now we have software that builds the same thing. What did I want to say? It's exciting. It never ends. The field is, is constantly evolving, isn't it? I, I yeah. feel like, you know, in the last, the last year, there's been some, some huge steps. There's, I, there's still a long way to go. I suppose, look, final comments before we jump into the quickfire round would be, you know, what are you most excited for in this, in this space? Ooh, like all the, the always changing new libraries, easier to use, less complexity. I mean, in the past, I coded everything in R. Scripts and scripts and scripts, and now you have libraries that did what I used to do with raw code in the in the past. So what gets me excited is that I think the time to production is faster in the next years, and I I hope. And the time to innovation can then be even even quicker as well. Yeah, like maybe you know have an average model here, but on plus and an average one there and an average one there, and all three models perform better or they do some learning. That's okay. Your your eggs are growing in these three baskets. And then, you know, when you have time, improve improve something that maybe is a lower hanging fruit. 
Brilliant, brilliant. Well, Irene, it's been been great to, to talk about the, the machine learning, data science sort of strategies. And, and yeah, I think there's been some real valuable lessons. We're now moving on to the, the quick fire round, uh, which we ask every question, uh, every, every guest, sorry, uh, the same questions. So um, first up, how do you assess a job opportunity in your career? And, and how do you know if it's the right move? In my career or in a, in a oh, general? Yeah, I suppose, you know, yeah. What's what's your advice to people looking for a role? I think we sort of t- you touched a bit on the bits around asking asking questions. Yeah. Which I thought was was really relevant. So, I mean, if you are an individual contributor, I would say find out what makes you happy, whether it is the tinkering or whether it is the leadership. And you know, if you if leadership is not for you, don't take it for for the sake of power. Focus on being excellent at the area in which you are in. And if you are, if you are in ML, really, before you join any company, due diligence for your own, you know, health and and peace (laughs) of mind, because especially in these very tough economical times that everybody needs to prove value and you need to be safe that you have a role that is included in the whole strategy. Yes. Amazing. And, And what's your best advice for people in an interview? Oh, don't be afraid to say you don't know and move on and, and whatnot, but prepare. Please prepare for your interview. Great advice, yeah. I think being humble about it and saying, you know, if, when you don't know something and then oh, you can always have a punt as well. I don't know, but if I was to guess or if I was to have an educated guess, this is what I would say. That shows intuition. <laughs> yeah, and no, no, what's it called? Like, I think just last a couple of weeks, I had some candidate interviews and, you know, we have a we have a... A spectrum of questions going from, let's say that uh, this is a topic X, but I'm going X minus one and X plus one, adjacent skills. So if you don't know this one, I'm going to ask you this one because you probably know this one if you don't know this one. So don't be afraid to just say, it's okay. No, move on to the next question. It's no point in feeling nervous. Perfect. And final question, if you could recommend one resource to the audience to help them upskill, what would it be? Or Sarah, I guess, or, you know, your own curiosity. <laughs> Find a problem at work that's supported or not supported. Find a manager that supports it, not necessarily your own, and practice. And don't be afraid to to take projects that maybe you don't know the value of it yet. There's, all, like, there's always a risk, but the gains are also so nice when, when it actually works. That can be Amazing. ML models or the data field as a career. Amazing! Hunt out the problems and try and try and try and answer them. I mean, this 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 project I was mentioning to you about Google. I think my my boss actually at the time did not believe in it, but I had a global director of sales who really wanted it. I was like, no, 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 this has value. Like, I don't care. I'm going to work up to six p.m., but this has value, and when I prove it, then I will get all the freedom I want. Amazing. So yeah, the prime example. If you think there could be some value, find someone else that that agrees, get them on board, and. And go out and, and do it. You you might fail, you might succeed, but you've got to try. Yeah, exactly. Perfect, Irina. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for your time and sharing your, your insights into ML strategies. Thank you, Harry. I hope to, to come back one day and go into more detail, maybe. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. I really hope you've learned something. I know I have. The Stacked Podcast aims to share real journeys and lessons that empower you and the entire community. Together, we aim to unlock new perspectives and overcome challenges in the ever-evolving landscape of modern data. 
Today's episode was brought to you by Cognify, the recruitment partner for modern data teams. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit that follow button to stay updated with our latest releases. More importantly, if you believe this episode could benefit someone you know, please share it with them. We're always on the lookout for new guests who have inspiring stories and valuable lessons to share with our community. If you or someone you know fits that bill, please don't hesitate to reach out. I've been Harry Gollop from Cognify, your host and guide on this data-driven journey. Until next time, over and out. Over and out.